Welcome back, my mindset explorers. Today's guest is truly fascinating. It's a physician, and her name is Miriam. And the conversations that we have break down disease and the body. And more specifically, we even begin to speak about teenagers and our adolescents. And even if we are parents raising teenagers, what that means. She left the clinical practice 13 years ago and really really has begun focusing on mind and body medicine. She's got a passion to help teach teachers, educators, parents, adolescents, you and I, anyone willing to listen about what's happening on the insides, what's really happening in our body when we change. She dropped this knowledge bomb, and I I need you to hear it now because when she says it in the show, it blew my mind. Adolescence is the second biggest brain development in our entire life, second to infancy. So let's not even wait any longer. Let's get into the show. You're going to enjoy this one. It's so great to have you on the show. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you and your journey and becoming who you are now. And those that might not know, you are a physician, used to practice. We can get into if you practice still and all of that. But I want to say first and foremost, before we get into the show, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. I'm, I was really looking forward to this. Yeah, I, I, I always been a big believer in in the aspects of health and figuring out how somebody's body is potentially ill or has a disease and how we can get to healing the body. So that I, I know in my own background of healthcare and being a paramedic and, and working with sick people and injured people on a day-to-day basis, going back to the core of who I was as a kid, I always wanted to help people. So I would always like to see, is that something that was a part of you? And I'll get into that, but to kind of get the ball rolling toward that direction of being a child, I have a question and it is, who was Miriam on the playground? Who was she as a kid? Oh, no one's ever asked me that. Um, I was, um, you know, I was a pretty, I had a pretty good childhood um, when I was under 13. Um, I think I was kind of like, you know, not real outgoing, but not really shy. So I think I, and, and I think that's kind of how I am now. I'm like a kind of a mixture of an introvert, extrovert, I, just depending on the situation. I think most of us are, but I think probably more as reserved. Um, I, I was asking real deep questions at a very young age. Um, and I, I don't think I, and I didn't think that I was able to speak about it because my parents did not, um, even though like religion wasn't a big part of our upbringing. So there was really no talk of God, which um, I kind of created my own version, which thank God kind of really got me, <laughs> no pun intended there, but got me through like my childhood and some of these big questions. Cause I never felt like, I honestly never felt like anyone really understood what I was feeling or going through at that time. So it was just easier just to be happy and be a kid and 
keep it quiet, you know, um, until I hit sixth grade. And then I really started questioning because my grandfather died and I really started questioning things and um, didn't really have much, many places to go with that. And until I got a little bit older. So I was just very kind of in my head with all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. I think that there's a, a lot of things that happen in our childhood and we're trying to find ourselves and we have a lot of curiosity and wanting to know big answers and big or answers to big questions and struggling to find those is very tough, you know, and, and finding your own voice as a, as a kid, as well as a teenager and who you are in the world and where you kind of fit into the world. And that's a big message that kind of we come out and conditioned and believing is that we have to find where we fit into the world. Um, and, and that's interesting, right? Yeah. I love that. You said that that's so true. And that's part of my mission is to kind of get uh, to get kids and to teens to understand that that's not really true, that they are who they are and that's who they are. And that's what they should be kind of savoring and exploring and um, bringing out because it's just as good as anyone else, right? It's just as good as anyone else. So that's a, I, I like that. That's, that's an interesting point that you brought that up. Yeah, it's, it's something I think we'll probably get into later in the show, especially into the message of what you're doing now. And I really want to get into the weeds of that. But to kind of help us along this journey of your life's development, uh, as, we're, as we're being a child, what, what did you fill your time with? What was some fun activities that you enjoyed as a kid? Um, I, since I was, before I remember, I was very much into horses. That was my passion. That was my pastime um, growing up, like in middle school, uh, elementary school, like, you know, the kids did sports and, and I would just come home and be with my horse. Um, I had a couple of friends that were, had horses in my neighborhood. So we would go riding. Uh, we did horse shows every weekend. We, um, you know, we would take them down to the stream. I, I lived in Long Island at that time. We would take them down to the stream and just, you know, play. And I, I, like I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm glad I did such crazy things with my horse, you know. Um, and it's kind of a miracle that I'm still alive. But I, I don't know. You get through it, I guess. Kids, they don't have that fear. They don't have the fear, you know. So yeah, I did spend, I spent a lot of time. I was also kind of a tomboy. I, I love to be in trees. I love to climb trees. Like I was, whenever I was outside, we had this tree outside that I love to climb and that would be my place if I was outside and there wasn't anything specific to do, I'd be up in the tree. Um, and then otherwise I'd be, I'd be with my, my, my animals. I'm a big animal lover. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I didn't know about the horse part of uh, of your childhood, and I I think that's that's beautiful. And I I've never I'm trying to think back here. I don't think I've ever ridden a horse, so I, I'm probably missing out on a whole whole gamut of emotions and feelings. So for those that haven't, what what was it about horses that kind of drew you to just love them so much? What was the the energy there? Um. Gosh, I mean, horses have, you know, just like people who love dogs and, you know, they're connected with their dog, which I, I just actually in this part of my life, in this point of my life, I love horses. I still love horses, but my dog, like dogs are kind of like overtaken that. Um, but 
I think it's like they all have such different personalities and it was something that I really enjoyed writing. Um, but even to this day, it's not so much about the writing. It was just taking care of, of taking care of them. Um, and then we had so much fun. I mean, it was just fun to ride, go on trail rides, do crazy things. I was a jumper at one point when I was younger and it was like that thrill that you would get, like when you're jumping over like a really large jump, um, you're not thinking about anything else, just like any other kind of, you know, high risk sport. You're you're really in the moment, like it really gets you in the moment. So I think I love that about it. Um, and some of the risks that I took when not even in the ring, but like we used to <laughs> we used to like and I'm on in New York and we used to race cars down the highway um, double. Like, yeah. Crazy. No helmet. <laughs> and I don't know. It was just fun. It was just fun. Um, but yeah. I keep, yeah. So I think looking back, I think that was kind of kept me really in the moment. Um, and then of course there's the showing, we did the showing and, and all that. And that's kind of, you know, high energy and, um, you know, pretty intense as a kid. So yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. I love that you took you took a little wild risks, <laughs> um, yeah. a little little dangerous. Lived on the edge there, and I, I think that's that's so funny and so true to a lot of kids. You know, there's there's a lot of learning that takes place right on the cusp of danger, right? Of like leaning into something that can potentially hurt you, but there's a lot out there, right? That risk balance reward kind of thing that figuring out how to how can you do something risky but safe right that's 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 where a lot of learning can really take place and as a kid i have to assume that that energy right we don't have as much fear right we can talk into that and and we just don't seem to and that might be to the the brain's not as developed in that area so fear rationale it doesn't happen as much whatever it be we can get into the science of it but it's it's interesting to see how that kind of goes away as that free spirited. Let's take risks. Let's step into ourselves. Let's be bold. Let's be determined. I want to do this. And then as we get into adulthood, we're lost into this, and we say, "Oh, that's too risky. I can't. I can't start a business. I can't go do a passion of mine. I can't." It's not even talking about like jumping off a cliff, but it feels that same sympathetic, that fight or flight still activates in the same stressors. And that's just absolutely fascinating. So I want to know for you, as we developed or as you developed into being an adult, what drew you to the healthcare field and wanting to be a physician? Um, uh, my story, I think, is a little unique in that I never, ever had the desire to be a doctor. No one in my family is a doctor. I mean, my parents didn't even go to college. Um, my sister and I went to college and I was always interested, I think just from a young age of having some of these big thoughts and of going into psychology. So I was a psychology major in school. And um, I mean, I always loved taking care of animals. So if anything, it would have been like a veterinarian. Um, tried that, didn't, didn't work because I wasn't, it, I wasn't ready. Like I just wasn't ready. I wasn't in that mindset of school. I was, you know, I was in my early, you know, 1920. Um, and I just wasn't ready. Um, I tried and I did not do well at all. So I didn't really care. And I kind of went off into something else, but 
what happened was when I was a, a junior in college, um, I was going for, I was, my plan was to go for my PhD and my doctorate in psychology because I was never good at school. I never liked school. I wasn't good in high school until I found psychology. And then everything kind of came into place. My grade point average went up. I took, you know, I had to take two years at a community college because my grades sucked during high school. So I took two years in a community college and I loved it. Like I loved psychology. I got all A's. There was no, like, this was what I wanted to do. And then I got into college and I was working on that, doing really well. And then when I was in my junior year, my closest friend was killed in like a freak one car accident. She was, um, her and her cousin were in the back seat. It was not a very bad accident, but they both got ejected from the car. This is before people really wore seatbelts, um, especially in the back seat. And she was killed. So, and she was like my, you know, growing up, like we went to horseback riding camp together and we, she was my neighbor. She was lived across the street, like two doors down. And we did sleepovers all the time. Like we had dinner. I mean, we were really, really close. She was like a sister. We did since we, I was born and also just a wonderful person. She was just a great, great person. And when she died, um, I was so devastated. And I was, there was so, again, so many of these deep questions. And when I went to her funeral, um, the thing that really stood out to me and still does, I could see it in my mind now is the look her parents had in their eye when they saw me because I was representing her childhood to them. I mean, I was always at their house. She was always at my house. And that was the pain that I saw in them. I knew at that moment, no, I can't, that's not true. I didn't know at that moment because it took me some time, but that's the moment. That was the pivotal moment for me when I knew if I could do anything, I wanted to soothe parents. Not, not so much in that situation. It's not, you know, I don't really, I don't deal with suicide. Um, You know, I always refer suicide. I don't work with parents of that. I don't, that's not what I do, but it was soothing the parents, soothing the parents. And even when I went to medical school, it was like, I wanted to, even if it was something really little that they thought their child was ill in whatever way, and they weren't, or their test came back negative. To me, that was always the biggest part I loved of my job is soothing parents. And that's what I get to do like every day, because most of the time, especially with teenagers, it's never as bad as parents think, even if it's drugs or vaping or um, different things that are going on, it's, it's usually not as bad as people make it out or even a baby, you know, when they get some kind of a result back and they're freaking out because they don't understand it. Um, having a different perspective on it and working with kids for so many years and seeing how quickly they recover psychologically and physically um, kind of gives me that edge to help soothe them. And that was, that was where that stemmed from. Um, unfortunately, her mom died not long after, but um, yeah, so it, it was, it was a, it was a tough, tough situation. And um, yeah. but yeah, that was my pivotal moment. And point of sorrow, you know, point of sorrow of just getting into healthcare and wanting to help 
parents and loved ones kind of come to an understanding and a comprehension with the things that they're facing. So that's massive. That's, that's something you do now and still do. And it's interesting to see how it's molded and formed into, into that and where we are. But was, was there something in being a physician that didn't feel like you were providing enough was the I know you're a pediatrician you, you helped the focus on children um, but what was it that kind of drew you to say this chapter's closed I did what I thought I could do in here but I have more to do um, that was actually one particular client that I had and it was after I was in practice for about 10 or 11 years 10 years maybe no. I had my own practice and I also worked as a hospitalist, which is where you, a hospitalist is when like a patient would come in that doesn't have a primary doctor and you're working in the hospital shift and you would become their primary while they were in the hospital. And this little boy came in and he was, um, he was little, I think he was like four or five. And he came in with an obstructed bowel, basically a twisted gut and very, very sick. And, you know, I never asked like the normal, like the normal questions that doctors would ask. I mean, I would have to obviously do a history and physical, but I would like in my head, I'm thinking, what the hell is going on in this kid's life that he's manifesting this blockage, like this, this, you know, such a severe illness, like something has to be going on with this kid, because that's how I would think of every patient, you know? Um, to a certain extent, but this kid was my pivotal, you know, my, like where I knew like something in, in me had to change. And then I met his family and literally like it was, it was a divorce situation. Um, but it was not the parents fighting. It was the grandparents and the grandparents kind of literally kind of like were tearing me in different directions within five minutes of being in their presence and hearing what they were saying, I, I literally had a stomach ache and that answered my question. And I knew that, I mean, this kid wound up losing half of his bowel. Like he, he wound up having to have surgery, but I knew at that moment, like at, at that, with that particular patient, that was my last patient. That was my last time I went back to that job. And I stayed with my private practice for a while. But I knew that something had to change there because I felt like, all right, so this kid is losing half his bowel and, and he's five, right? And we're sending him back to the same environment without any tools. Like the parents have no tools. The grandparents have no tools. The kid has no tools. You know, it's just going to manifest somewhere else, right? Like, you know, like being in healthcare, like, and it, it, it's just, it, you know, it's that dis-ease, right? So dis-ease, is manifesting as disease. And this kid was not eased in any way, except now he had probably a lot of secondary gain, not to say that that's obviously not why he did it, but there, there would be a lot of secondary gain from his family and his, you know, people would come together for a while and they would be harmony for a while. And then, you know, and then the normal kind of comes back. So that was my last, my last patient. I remember I couldn't sleep that night because it, it was just hard. It was hard. And, and, I made a lot of changes after that. And that's when my journey really started in this direction. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a, a powerful and fascinating story. And 
I, you you spoke on it a little bit and in getting into how is this person manifested this or they manifested this this issue in their gut right that gets into a whole other gamut that most people don't even talk about or even reflect on that the body can project physical manifestations dependent upon experiences and thoughts around it that it's literally a, a tuning fork that can be set to certain feelings and frequencies if you will that will manifest into another way uh, maybe it's a headache maybe it's a gut ache maybe it's nausea whatever it be people don't even talk about that and that's the westernized medicine is that we're a very reductionistic right seek and destroy Go and find the problem, take it out and fix it, send them back on the way. There's no holistic approach there of, like you said, sending the patient out with tools, sending the family out with tools so we can avoid this for next time. It's simply fix the body or not really fix the body, find the problem, change it, and then send it back out. Can be a number of ways. So with that, I'm curious to know how did you come into the realization or even start to find this content around the body and the disease, disease, and the process of manifesting illnesses from environments? Well, the first thing was, I think in that particular moment is that I had such a bad stomach ache, like, I, I mean, a really bad stomach ache after that night, during that night. Um, but... <sighs> I always knew, like, it was just an innate knowing in me um, that was never, I was never able to fully explore it because obviously in medical school and residency, you don't have really time and nobody is going to listen to you. And nobody at that point, especially, I mean, not that nobody would have listened to me, but it wasn't my priority at that point, right? I would just, I wanted to, I was going through medical school. I was going through residency. I was doing my thing. I was learning all this new stuff. I was interested in what I was learning. I was loving working with the, with the patients and their families. Um, but I think it was really just an innate knowing that I always had. Um, and then when I started to see it more like in private practice, like, you know, these kids would come in with these pretty basic problems, like say, I mean, like a chronic cough, say, and there's, there's nothing we can do for really a chronic cough. I mean, there's really not, you know, what do you want to do? Drug your kid up for the rest of their life? <laughs> or, you know, um, you're going to keep putting them on antibiotics. I'm not a strong believer in antibiotics, especially in kids, except when it's really, it's really required. Right. Um, so we would kind of send them what you give them codeine. Like that's so, so not in my, you know, like my realm of what I believe. So there was so much disconnect. There was a lot of disconnect for me. And even though I was doing some things that I loved and I was helping, you know, some, some patients with simple, you know, like someone comes in with a urinary tract infection, that's easy, you know, or somebody comes in with a sore throat or ear, ear infection, like those are easy. But when, when it comes to things that are not necessarily that easy, there's no simple solution and then you're dealing with parents who are looking and expecting something. They want an antibiotic. They want some medicine. They and they're not leaving without it, you know. And then people struggle, like doctors struggle with that. And, and it is a real struggle. It's not that, you know, we have a certain amount of time that we get with each patient. 
And you can't educate them in that short amount of time of why antibiotics are bad and how it's causing resistance. And you know what I mean? Like we can only do so much. So some people give into it. I decided to leave it because it just was not, it, it just didn't go with my, who I was. Yeah. Um, I think that's a big, that's a big point. And, and, and I think that goes down to like you even spoke about is the learning and you got fascinated with, and I'm fascinated with the human psychology and the aspects of thought. And, and, and in that people as for example, are coming to you for a solution for a silver bullet that is just going to fix all. And how many people out in this world are just doing that same thing, looking for the next big thing that's going to revolutionize their life and change it. And it's just going to be one simple thing that they got to do. This is the one thing. That's a great point. It's That's a great point. And I love how you're bringing that in with medicine because that's so obvious in medicine. Like they want an antibiotic, right? They want painkiller. They want something. And not to, not to say that, I mean, that's the way we were, we were brought up and there's, you know, it's, it's not um, anyone's fault. I'm not saying that there's any shame or judgment in that. It's just, that's generally not the way that it works. Right. Like it's just, I mean, sometimes we're lucky and, and it does, but most of the time it, it doesn't. And there's an underlying, there's something underlying it. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's the bigger part is that we have to widen our lens and aspects of how we think about ourselves as humans and how we think about each other and the aspects of where we, where we live, what we eat, what we do, what we think. And to think it's ironic and almost uh, humorous in a point that we think that one simple pill can change your entire life. And that's kind of what we've been sold and that's what society's been sold is that that there's 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 just something you can take and everything will be fine after that you don't have to worry but we're seeing and we're seeing this now in modern medicine westernized medicine and anything if you've ever watched a drug commercial before and you've heard all the side effects there's there's literally ripple effects from one change so Take that pill. Yes, you have antihypertension medicine or a low blood pressure medicine that will lower your blood pressure. But what else does it do? Right? Is it is it a beta blocker? Is it going to reduce your heart's ability to improve its heart functions, or is it going to reduce your fluid intake, your retentional issues, where you're going to hold on to water? There's all these homeostatic processes. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I like that you said that because it's not like these side effects. They're not side effects. That's what the drug does. A beta blocker is going to make you tired, right? It's going to decrease your heart rate. It's going to cause everything that's going to come with that antihypertension. Not to say that beta blockers are bad. I mean, actually beta blockers are not bad, but there are some drugs that these side effects, you know, some people, the side effects they can't tolerate, but they're not really side effects. That's what the drug does. (laughs) They're unwanted parts of the drug, but to look at them as just side effects um, is really not accurate. You know, these are, these are the consequences of taking that, that medicine, you know? Yeah, it is absolutely true. Is that these, and I like how you highlighted that, that these are not in fact side effects. This is what the drug in fact does. (laughs) It just does this more and this is what it does a little less. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And the whole drug, like, don't even start me on the whole drug company uh, thing. Yeah, I'll try not to get into that. We won't, we won't get into that. <laughs> so I want to talk into moving and transitioning to this next chapter. And, and it's fascinating and starting to treat this whole self of this, this parent, this environment, the teenager, the child, and getting deep into that. How did you kind of start off in that and anybody that is now in this pivotal point like this is a fulcrum point a pivotal point in our lives where maybe people that are listening are saying yes i i feel that energy i feel that same way about blank but it's a lot it's a lot to stop practicing medicine for your example and shift all the way over into this that's that's a scary turmoil type of shift to a lot of people so words of wisdom yeah, it was it was quite gradual. I started working in hospitals. I started educating doctors. I started doing lectures to nurses. I started working with the PAs. I started working. Uh, I was I was a professor actually at um, at a college, a local college, and then I started teaching at the graduate school for the PA students because I became friendly with. I had some connections there, and the um, the director was leaving, and he needed some of his classes covered. So I, I taught medical ethics for, to PA students for a while, which was fascinating. I loved it. Um, I did a lot of different things to kind of, you know, I taught yoga for a while, um, trying to get into the mind body. I, I studied meditation. I, I studied homeopathy, homeopathy. I mean, I, it was a kind of a long process, but it all kind of boiled down to my teenage years, right? And that's how, you know, we always, it's like that full 360. Um, I had a really difficult teenage years, um, starting when I was about 14. Um, and I just, you know, all these things kind of came to a head, like we were talking about, like all these big questions and, you know, not really being, I felt like I was really being understood and, um, there was really, I, I did have like a couple of teachers that, that were helpful, that really were helpful. Like I did not have a good relationship with my, my mother. Um, and I was, you know, more of the rebellious kind of kid, you know, um, really just wasn't the whole home thing was not good. So I had my horses, which thank God saved me. And I did have a couple of teachers in my life that really helped but my whole, the whole purpose behind this is to be that person that I needed when I was a teenager. And I try to do that every single day. And I just love it. Like, it's just why I'm here. It's just why I'm here. It's come so easy to me. Um, teenagers, you know, get such a bad rap. And I'm like, oh, my God, they are the easiest clients to work with because they get it and they get it so fast and they they don't have all this um baggage you know it's like you tell them something you get them to feel what that feels like and then they do it and then they get the results i mean i i see these kids it, it fascinated me to see how quickly some of these kids could turn things around like their whole like their parents are like astounded you know, and, and, and for me, I was at first too. Now I just expect it. And I know that it's, that it's coming, right. Because they are they're, they're, Um, I just, I do. I just love it. I, I love like every single one of my clients. I, you know, I only work through referrals um, it, with individual clients because I, I, I know that 
you know, I, I don't know. There's just a, it just works for me that way. It works that way. Um, but it's something that I just love. I just love it. And I feel like it's so needed. And I wish that I would have had that. Um, and in a sense, I did. I did have some teachers, but not ones that really understood like the whole, like what's going on in your brain and why you're feeling like this and what you can do about it and how you can you can express yourself in a way that, you know, that you're feeling confident about because you've done the work. That's the thing. It's like, that's one of the reasons too about referrals is because I only want to take kids and work with kids that are going to do the work. And my kids do the work and they get the results and they get them fast because they're, they're there, they're ready, you know? And I, and it doesn't always seem that way. Like I've had some resistant teenagers, like where the, I've known the moms, I work in schools. So I, a lot of my, my, Kids are from teachers' kids. They're teachers' kids because I work in the school districts. I work with staff and I work with, um, you know, at, in education. And I've had some pretty, pretty resistant that did not want me there. Um, and then I just, you know, it, they, but it always works out. You know, they'll, they'll give me an attitude for a day or two. And then, you know, like one of them that was the most resistant is like a butt, total buddy of mine, like, you know, sometimes I pick her up from school and we go for coffee. Like, you know, she's like, so yeah, it's, um, I love the whole coaching relationship too. It's not, it doesn't have to be so sterile, like a doctor, you know, where you're this doctor and they're this patient, you know, it's just, yeah, they're like my buddies and, you know, I get to help them and they help me. It's, it's, it's so fun. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's super fascinating and exciting and thrilling to see something and see something so tied to a purpose that was so needed or, or crucial for yourself and and going back almost in time and helping and being that help in that gap that you felt you had and like you said you can when you find that and you find that deep of a purpose in anything that you do you can do it day in and day out. You can show up and you can talk about it nonstop. You, you, you're excited. You're like, I get to talk about this. And this is this is what I love doing and talking about. I want to say, and, and maybe to help people right now listening, what do you in fact do? What do you help teenagers through? Um, I think that one of the main things that I, I do, well, I, I think I... Is, is really to build their their true authentic self to, to to have them understand who they really are and to appreciate who they really are. And um, I think a lot of that comes from really some really simple techniques of, you know, making commitments to yourself, keeping them, you know, like a lot of the same business kind of models that you would be talking about Um I do talk a lot about the inner voice because I think that's huge. And I've done a lot of inner voice things with, um, because everybody has one. Um, I've done it with kids as young as like sixth grade. I've worked with gifted students and they love it. And it was, it's so interesting to have them in a group and talk about your inner voice. And, you know, some kids are, and I just let them kind of talk it out, but some kids are like, Oh no, I don't have an inner voice. And, you know, and then another kid would be like, well, that's your inner voice talking, you know? So some of them get it. Some of them don't at first, but it's just really fun 
to to be able to explore those kinds of things where they don't talk about in school. Like you're not going to talk about this at the dinner table or talk about it in school or the effects of that inner voice and what that does to your confidence and how, you know, our, our thoughts are so repetitive every day. Most of them are negative. Why is that? What's going on in the brain? If, when kids understand these things, what's going on physiologically, they, you know, I, I'm saying kids probably, I mean, adults do too. But when they understand it, what's going on physiologically in their brain and why, they're going to be more apt to pay attention and they're going to be more apt to try to change it. They're going to stick with it. I find that when they understand it, they're going to stick with it longer than just somebody telling them something like what teenager, you tell them to do something, you don't give them a why behind it. They're not going to do it. Why would they? That's part of the adolescent brain. That's part of how they're. You know, I mean, adolescent, the brain in the adolescent is very, very specific for what it's going to do, what works and what doesn't. It's it's universal. You know, once they get that and once the parents get that, it, it, it just causes so much more soothing Then they understand it. And they're like, oh, I don't have to fight against that anymore because that's normal. That's physiology. It's neuroanatomy. It's what's going on. And then they kind of accept it. And then it doesn't become an issue anymore. It's, it becomes a non-issue. It's just something they need to get through. Wow. That's, that's incredible. And in that ability of just you, you're tying a lot here in the art of mindset. And that's kind of what the message is in this all encompassing show. And the premise of it is that that inner voice and the thoughts and sliding a different lens or widening that lens or cleaning the lens and changing it. And that's the art form of the mind and that it is, is neuroplastic, right? It is, has neuroplasticity to it. So it can move and mold and teenagers are probably moldable a lot quicker than adults because there's not as much, if you would, rigid plastic that's been kind of shifted there. It's not so much that they're more moldable. It's that they do it faster. So we're all at that same level of we, as adults, we absolutely can mold our brain and it's just, you know, it's neuroplastic, but they just do it faster. You know, they get things a little bit faster. We don't have all that, you know, that stuff piled on top of it to have to kind of struggle out of there. Um, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. It's just it's just fun. It's just so much. fun. <laughs> and I love working with parents, too. Like I do. I love my the parents that I work with. And when they're when the parents are wanting their kids to get some of this. Even though there's a lot more resistance, they're open to it. They're open to it and they're willing to to work with me through it. And, and I don't work with all my parents, you know, some of them just, and I, cause I work with college kids too. So some of them, I just touch base with every once in a while. Cause they're paying me. They're really my client. Cause they're the ones that are paying me. Um, and I'll give them little updates, but um, most of the younger kids. Yeah. I work. Sometimes the parent will even be in the room with them. Like when I, I have some 10 year olds, 11 year olds, and we work together. We do things together. We meditate together. We have, we do techniques together. We get them together as a group, you know, as a couple to do things together. Um, and that's helpful too, for certain age groups. It's all like kind of developmentally, try to keep it developmentally appropriate. What do you think is probably the most important aspect for teenagers, young adults, even parents that are dealing with all of these, this entire portion of it, right? So from being a teenager to maybe it's young adults that just came out of being a teenager that are struggling still, and then parents that are struggling with teenagers, what do you think is the most important point in order to kind of just have the best opportunity in life? Um, I, 
I hate to, uh, I mean, I, I, the only reason I'm saying this is because I've seen it so many times and I've experienced it. Um, and I think that shift in, now I think the teenager can do it on their own, no doubt. They, they can definitely do it on their own. But I find that when parents of, of young children all the way to teenagers, when the parents' expectations and there's that soothing that comes over them when, when they're able to understand what's going on physiologically, their energy is going to change. Their expectations are going to change. They're just more, they're more compassionate. Um, they're more empathetic for what the child's going through because they are going through some huge, it's not just hormonal, it's huge brain changes, like huge brain changes that are going on. It's the second biggest brain change from infancy. So it's, it's huge that goes on. Everything changes, everything changes. Um, now can sometimes the kid change and then that changes the adult? Absolutely. But the adult does need some support. And that's why I call them periodically to check in what's going on, what, you know, what's working, what's not. And any, and, and I'm always get, get going back to the adult saying, you know, what is the best part of your kid that you're so proud of? What do you, what do you just love about this kid? And, you know, and they all just light up because they will feel that way about our kids at certain points, you know, um, having them focus there, having them focus there, having them focus there, keeping that image in their head of what they, what they love, what they know, what they're proud of. And working from there, you're going to get much different results than fear, anxiety, worry, um, hopelessness, right? So you're going to get complete, you're going to have a completely different kid on your hands. And that's what I've seen. That's interesting. It's super. Yeah. It's, it's it's interesting because it's a focal point for the parent, right? It's a focal point, and that goes back to everything and the aspects of the mind and setting a goal and objectives and why we have to have affirmations and intentions and write things out and focus. Like focus is the key, and when you can focus the mind, even the parent's mind, into a point of their teenager that they absolutely love there's a lot a lot of compassion there there's a lot of forgiveness there's a lot of different emotions that just kind of bubble up versus why is he or she changing they're they're always upsetting me they're not listening they're blah 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 and that 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 becomes a focus and then then the child hears that and the teenager hears that and then says see it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy here. And then the vi vicious cycle continues. And then they think there's something wrong with them. And there's not. I mean, nine times, more than nine times out of 10, there's something wrong. There's nothing wrong. It's just the normal physiological, like the, what's going on in the brain. Um, these things are going to come up there. Like I said, like adolescence is a very specific evolutionary need or else we, you know, of why we do what we do in adolescence. We need to do that as a species to survive. We need to explore. We need to rebel. We need to take risks, right? Um, and like I said, when parents understand that, they they calm they calm down. Like 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 no, your kid is right on track. You know, like he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Not to say you know, obviously drugs and their thing that right, but that's a whole different that's a different ball game. Um, kind of kind of a different ball game. Exactly. Because right, because how much did that kid think, oh, there's something wrong with me? 
Um, and then they're going to turn because they're feeling so bad. They're going to turn to different avenues to relieve that. And honestly, like, can you can you blame them? Really? I mean, can you can you blame them? Like with everything that's going on in the world and everything that's going on that we've been going through recently. And then to I mean, think about that. Like when I was a teenager, it's a completely different world. But a teenager now going through what they're going through with the social media, with the wars, with the pandemic, and then to have your parents constantly on you. Really? Like, why wouldn't they try to escape in some way? (laughs) You know, so. That's what um, understanding some of that can help relieve some of that and can help prevent some of that. And that's why I think it's for me, prevention. And I'm sure you being in your field, you know, in, as an EMT, uh, paramedic um, or any kind of emergency first responder, prevention is the key. And I think that education is the key to all of it. I really do. I, that's just once you understand something, things change, your perspective changes, your life changes, right? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I learned that early in my EMS career in healthcare. And I learned that from dealing with fear a lot, not my own fear, but the fear of my patients and the fear of their loved ones and the bystanders and all of the sorts that people, when fear falls in or fear comes around, it's they're not they're not too worried and they are right they're worried about their loved one and all the sorts but the worry stems from the not knowing not knowing if this is normal not knowing what's about to happen next not knowing what's gonna happen what if what if what if what if what if if. i don't know what else to do right it's that same energy that same thread follows into this and parents are saying well what if my kid becomes a druggie what if my kid becomes a drug dealer what if they like all of these same things and we have to have to educate and the conversation needs to continue here and i love how you've tied it into the mind and how we focus the mind and focus the parents minds and get the teenagers to understand that they are normal and this is normal and that term right it's a kind of a incorrect term because what is normal right it's not accurate because we're all unique but through these conversations and getting anybody that's listening that's dealing with maybe teenagers or trying to maybe is a teenager and trying to figure out that they are normal or normal in the, in the quotes, what books or videos or content is out there. That's very educational to kind of expand their knowledge in this arena. I know for myself, I mean, there's a lot of people that I love to listen to. I love to listen to podcasts, but I kind of go back to whenever I need like a really quick boost. And maybe this is more for a parent or teens too. I mean, I, he does some, some ones for teens, but it's, it's very general kind of inspirational things. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Ed Milet, um, his podcast, I've, I've learned so much from him and from his guests. Um, I do follow Tony Robbins quite a bit. Um, and that is the coaching class, the coaching course, um, that I utilize, but Ed Milet work does work closely with Tony Robbins. Um, but he, I just, for some reason for myself, I find his work when I need a quick lift, I, I can, you know, just go to YouTube and listen to him for a little while. Um, it helps me. And he has some really good ideas and some of the ideas that he's had, I've heard before through, not just through him, but like through neuroscience and through research. And then he explains it in just a really fun way. I just like to listen to him. 
he's helped me um, change my life. And I, and so then I could kind of transfer that over to my, to my teenagers, you know, real simple things, just um, very practical. And I like to utilize some of it. I, I just, I've learned so much from him. So that's one. I mean, there's a, there's so many though. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot. Yeah. I know there tends to be a lot and that's kind of sometimes overwhelming for some people. So I, I kind of stick to about three, you know, three different people that I follow mainly on YouTube that I listen to consistently. Um, Cause you can get lost in it, right? You can get lost in all the different ideas and you're in all these different directions, but when you kind of come back to your core and what really feels good, he's one of the ones that feel real good to me. I'll have to check him out. I haven't personally heard of him before, but I'll have to check I out his content. Like him. I think you really like him. He's yeah, he's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm always about that. And I'm always about helping, helping people as well. So along that kind of line of thinking, it, we're coming, we're coming to the tail end of this show. And I always like to get an idea of where people that are doing innovative ways of thinking and helping people and being, as I like to call yourself, you're an entrepreneur, you have to, you're, you're changing, you're finding solutions, you're finding, you found a problem and a purpose and you're driving a solution toward it. So I always like to hear about where you kind of plan to go and, and what really excites you about that future. Um, so what, what's exciting in uh, Miriam's future? Well, um, I do love working with individual clients. That is definitely a passion of mine because I can really build that, that bond with them, whether it's on Zoom or whether it's in person. When I do my college students, I see them on Zoom. Um, one thing I, I want to get, and this is actually how I, I started was with edu- in education and in the classroom, because I feel like it's so underutilized and there's a ton of resistance. Um, there is resistance in education to some of the things that I speak about just because it's really, it's different. Um, it's not things that, you know, reading, writing and arithmetic, it's not about that. So right now I'm doing a parent workshop series where, and I've been doing this for a couple of years actually, but I'm really trying to push this more is where I'm educating parents on like the teenage brain or stress reduction or what's going on with their kids and kind of getting that out there on a bigger scale, because I do it more. I was doing it before the pandemic. I used to do it in person. Now I'm doing it more online. And so I figured I want to I want to expand that to a greater population. So that's what I'm working on now. And just getting more. In, and I do a lot of professional development, like for staff K through 12. And and I, like I said, I also work at a university in, in the a college in the area working with people like these PAs that are going to be seeing clients. They're going to be seeing some kids. They're going to be, you know, so transferring these ideas and they love it. And I, I've been doing that for seven years. I, it's really fun for me. And I get a ton of great feedback from my kids. I mean, I, I love those PA students and um, it, they just have a special, I don't know. They're just really into it. Like they're really, really into it. Um. <laughs> Parents, depending on the location, can be a little bit different. Staff, generally, I have a great relationship with the staff. I love working with staff and administration in schools, but they have to they have to be somewhere in the vicinity of being able to absorb some of this. Some schools are just they're absolutely not. They're they're just not. They have too much, and especially now, they have so much going on. Schools have so much going on. They don't want anything new. But like I'm doing a, a workshop series for staff this this summer. 
about wellness, getting the staff, getting their resilience back, getting their confidence back, getting some tools for them to use. So they enjoy working again, you know, like remembering why they're in, in working with kids, because once the attitude, just like a parent, when the school energy changes and the energy in school has changed quite a bit, the mental health in teachers, I mean, it's gone way up and it's just because they're human, right? But to help them sort through some of that so they could be there more for the kids. Um, that's what really excites me, you know, doing it on a bigger scale. Like I, like I said, I love the one-to-one, but to be able to get that out on a bigger scale is, is um, really exciting for me. Yeah, I think that's a very big part of a lot of conversation that needs to happen for, like you said, teachers, for physicians, assistants, or PAs, right? For teenagers, for all these people. And I love, and that's what excites me about the future is that this conversation is becoming normal and that people are becoming more open to listening to it. And it's great, right? Yeah. (laughs) That people are willing to say, well, let's do some inner work, some introspective work. And I think that's a fascinating time to live in. And people are really kind of excited about it because it's an area that for a long time has been ignored and we're starting to see what happens when you ignore a portion of self and it's manifesting itself in a large scale in the world and i think as you kind of heal as a as a society as a community through introspective work and come to realization that hey look we're not as bad as we really think we are even that inner voice is not even telling us the truth really Right. Right. Absolutely. And that we can, we actually have some control over that, which most kids don't, don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's probably the biggest revolutionary thought right there is that you actually do, in fact, can tell yourself what you want it to say. Absolutely. It takes work. work. I know how you, because you, I mean, you've really come on a a similar path and working in, in healthcare and some of the struggles that you went through there. And then switching over. And now I think what helps, because, you know, in medicine, it, it, it's so slow. It's such a slow process, like education, but they need the research. They need the proof before they move forward at all. It's not like with yourself where you can try, like, you know, where I'm trying to get kids to trust themselves, to trust that inner feeling. But in medicine, it doesn't work that way, right? We need the proof we need, but now we're, we have it, right? We have it. We have the functional MRIs. We have quantum physics to back us up. We know that energy, like we know, like what Einstein talked about way back, like it's starting to come into fruition, like how we're all entangled, like we're all, we're all, we're our all one and how that it interplays with life. And then we can watch it actually, because we have the proof now. So I think that's why people are more open to it. You know, if they're, if they're invested. That logical mind is finally getting like, there it is. You can now settle down. We exactly. have it. Let's yeah. move into Some it. People do that. And I did, right. And you yeah. probably did yeah. too. Okay. Like, kind of need that. Yeah. Um, I don't need it anymore. So I'm, I feel like I'm free from that, which is very freeing. <laughs> it is. It is. Wow. That's uh, it's a bit, this has been a great episode. It's been a great conversation, just getting into the aspects of self, body, mind, spirit. And then you close with this big old topic that I'd love to dive into more with entanglement and quantum physics and all of these other things and those are fascinating topics and if anybody hasn't heard any of that stuff or um, dove into it i challenge you to go down those rabbit holes a little bit and see see what you what you find uh, because it is fascinating and it will feed that yeah it is mind-blowing and it'll feed that left side of that or that logical mind 
you know, that, that logical thinker. So Miriam, it's been absolutely wonderful. And I want to say again, it's an honor to have you on this show and, and just have a conversation with you in this way. And, and I'm excited about where this goes for you and moving forward into helping people have these conversations in healthcare, in education, and really target those, those children and the ch- teenager to be an advocate for themselves and understand that it is okay. So thank you. Thank you. And that's this episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian LeSage. As always, if you're looking to get more information, drop down into the show notes. Be sure to subscribe, follow, leave a five-star rating. This show eats it up. We love it when you do that. If you even feel inclined to leave a review, we always enjoy those as well. I hope you all are doing wonderful and exploring the wondrous world in which we live. And as always, stay curious, keep expanding.